a Bible, grab it out. Go with me to the book of Ephesians 4 verse 29 and also the book of 1 Samuel 17 verse 48 this morning. And I wanna talk to you, you can write down the title of the, of the message this morning. The, the title is Sticks and Stones. And I wanna talk to you this morning about the power of our words and the power of the language that we use. And uh, who knows, someone, someone wrote a rhyme one day that said, sticks and stones may break my bones. But they went on to lie. <laughs> they went on to mislead us. And they said, but names will never hurt me. Uh, we find out quite young that that's not true. And our words are powerful, uh, more powerful than any other weapons, I think. And the Bible says this, Ephesians 4, 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for the building up of others according to their needs, that it may be a benefit to those who listen. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for the building up of others according to their needs, that it may be a benefit to those who listen. And 1 Samuel 17, verse 48 says this, as the Philistine, speaking of Goliath, moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag, he took out a stone and he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. This stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone without a sword in his hand. He struck down the Philistine and killed him. Father, we thank you for the Bible. We're grateful for it. We thank you that as we come around your word, as we read your book, that it's the only book that as we read it, it reads us. We pray this morning, speak, we, we ask in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. I'm a New Zealander en route to Canada. Uh, as a Kiwi, I support rugby union. Now I won't bring up the All Blacks this morning. I didn't mean to do that. I didn't mean to do that just then. I, I won't bring them up. But I remember the very first time I saw the late, great John Olomu play live in New Zealand at Athletic Park in Wellington. He was playing for Counties Manukau, and they were playing against Wellington. And, and I saw what I thought was the largest human God had ever made there on the field in front of me as he, as he stood. They, they, they described Jonah as a rhinoceros in ballet shoes. That's how they described him one day. Uh, in the 95 World Cup, someone wrote a letter to, to the All Blacks and it got read over Radio New Zealand Radio Sport. And they said, rugby is a 15-man game. So all 14 of you, make sure you get John along with the ball. I, I never forget seeing him. And I thought, man, this guy was, this guy was huge. And, and I thought there's nobody that I could ever see that would be bigger than him. I was to be proved wrong a few years later when I was at a conference and a pastor at that conference brought with him a friend. The friend that he brought with him was a man whose name is Tyson Chandler. Tyson Chandler is a current NBA basketball player. And Tyson Chandler is seven foot two. Like this is... This is significant. If you put a 12-inch Subway sub on my head, he would be taller even than that. But what's remarkable about this man is that his, his, his height is seven foot two, but his wingspan, seven foot five. From the tip of one finger to the tip of the other, his job is to protect the rim. He is a mammoth of a man. And there I was, 12 rows up in the bleachers, and I'm an NBA fan, and I was what the millennials would call fanboying. I was fanboying over this man. I, I really wanted to meet him, at least shake his hand, and if possible, get a sneaky selfie. And so I, I outstretched my hand even before the first introduction, which I think was premature. And I said, Tyson, and Tyson looked, and my hand was outstretched. Then I realized how high I was in the bleachers, and he was on the ground floor. And there's no way a human hand, unless you're Inspector Gadget, could possibly reach my hand. And I thought, and I think with handshaking, there's universal rules, isn't there? There's universal standards of handshaking. 
I think if you're going to shake a hand, you want to do it firm. Uh, not too firm, but not too soft, but just right in the, there's, there's the balance there, right there. Um, I, I think you want to just make sure you, you, you grab the web, you're touching the web of the, the thumb and the, you don't want to grab too soon because you don't want to shake the man's or a woman's fingers. You want to shake the whole hand. Um, I, I think that you don't want to hold on too long. I think that, that, I think that's, that's awkward, isn't it? That's, it's inappropriate. Um, I think also if you're nervous, you can wipe your hand on the way through on the jeans. Just some basic life tips here, life hacks uh, for the Silverwater Church here this morning, Silverwater Campus. And here I am, and, 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 and he turned and saw me, and I was like, oh, there it is. But I'm like, so hi, how can he do it? But, I, but, but, but we forget that his wingspan is seven foot five. And so it was no problem for him to reach my hand from the floor. I was 12 rows up in the bleachers and we shook hands. Because it was a conference, it was very noisy. And as I was talking, my name's Levi, you know, like he couldn't hear me. And so here I am mouthing a conversation with a guy who's at a conference and knows nobody. He's an international basketball player. He's got a gold medal at the Olympics, maybe two. And here I am shaking his hand, holding on too long, grabbed too early, Sweating and moist because I'm nervous. And thinking to myself, this was going to be the best, but it's now categorically the worst day of my life. As tall as John Alomu is, as tall as Tyson Chandler is, the Bible tells us about a giant that many theologians describe as somebody who's over 10 feet tall. That's over three meters in height. Of all the people that you've met, there's not one person alive today that's that tall. And of all the people that were chosen to face this giant, a nation of people chose a boy. Now, I don't know how I feel about that, actually. Because if I think that there was an army of rabid zombies coming to face off against the Anzacs, I'll put us in there together there for the sake of this hypothetical zombie story. No one in their right mind is choosing a boy. Unless he's Spider-Man, but no one's. And this boy, David, he, he walked out and, and there he was. The Bible, the Bible says that he ran quickly to meet him, that there was something of a confidence on the inside that he came out to meet this giant that the Bible says for 40 days and 40 nights, every morning and every night was taunting God's people. It, to this point, it's interesting that Goliath hadn't actually done any damage. Goliath hadn't actually attacked the army. No one had actually died on that battlefield yet, but the enemy was just taunting. Isn't that what he does? Isn't that what the enemy does? He throws chat at us. He, he begins to taunt us and uses his words to bring us down and cut us short and rob our dreams. And David comes out and David's, I think David's got that, he's got that shock or that confusion, that sense of like, why, why haven't we done anything about this guy? He comes out, he calls him a dog. I don't think that's very nice, but maybe appropriate. He calls him an uncircumcised Philistine, which is a word we only use in church circles. <laughs> this dog, this uncircumcised Philistine. And he says, what will be done for the person that beats him? And the king says, oh, look, um, uh, uh, you get my daughter in marriage? And he's locked in. I mean, he's done there. That's it. He's like, give me a go. You get the king's riches and he'll find out later on in life, this is maybe the better of the three. You never pay taxes ever again. That's a joke. 
And she says, okay, he comes out there and the Bible says that he reaches down and picks up five smooth stones, put them in, puts, puts them in his pouch. And, and as he's going out, he then takes one. And I, and I, think, that, I think that if you looked at it through natural eyes, you, know, you realize that if you're 10 feet tall and you've got over 300 kilos of armor and weapons, so, so many and so much as the weight, so many other weapons that he needed an armor bearer to help him carry said weapons and armor that it would be a cumbersome situation to be in fighting a wee boy who's, who's coming at you with a stone. Maybe just enough to get you overconfident that maybe the giant would laugh and the helmet would rock back to expose his massive forehead, which I would call a five head, because he's got a big head. It's proportional to his body. That the young man would then fire off that stone and hit his forehead and he would die. But this is not a story, in my opinion, of stones versus swords. This is a story this morning of the power of our words. This is a story this morning of the power of discussion and changing the conversation. Because David turns up and he is convinced that God can win. And he says, how dare this man come against, and note this, he says, the armies of the living God. There was only one army of the living God there that day, but David knew that in history, God had never been beat. And no matter what challenge you and I face, God has never been defeated. There is always an enemy that tries to take him down, but God is undefeated. And if you're taking notes this morning, I've got just a few rhetorical questions for us this morning that you could write down on your notes. And maybe as you, as you go through the week and maybe as you go through life, you could ask yourself these questions like I try and do. And these questions I think will help. The first question I'd ask us this morning is this, is are our words, are they optimistic? This morning, Natalie used the word, she got up here and she, said, she talked about enthusiasm. Uh, that, that are your words are your words couched in enthusiasm? Are they optimistic? Is, is the glass half full? Is there a silver lining to every cloud that you face? The great author A.W. Tozer writes this, that God dwells in a perpetual state of enthusiasm. That the glass is half full. I've got a degree in sociology. Don't ask me what that is because nobody knows. Anything with an ology on the end of it sounds good though, doesn't it, you know? And the, the, thing, about, the thing about university degrees or tertiary study is that when you, when you get into tertiary study, they encourage you to think critically, to look at things analytically, to think critically. And, and, and some of the great movies of all time, The Shawshank Redemption or The Godfather 1 and 2, and not part 3. <laughs> the Dark Knight, which is a, a, a movie my friends tell me about. Um, uh, Inception, Interstellar, some of, these great, some of these great movies as you watch these films and they're great because they've been critically acclaimed that people have tried to find things that are wrong with them and have been found wanting. But because of the critique, it's been elevated for its brilliance. Then we come into church and we're encouraged not to be critical. But let me, let me, let me, let me challenge you this morning. This band, now I, I'm tone deaf, uh, which is excellent uh, for everybody else. Um, it doesn't bother me whatsoever. Um, now the Bible says, though, make a, make a tuneful noise to the Lord, doesn't it? Oh, no, it doesn't say that. It says, make a joyful noise. Amen. And so, but what will happen is this great band will get off stage this morning, and hypothetically speaking, because I don't know if they were good or not, all I felt was that God turned up and it just sounded pretty good, and so and they get a tick in my book. But they'll get off the stage, and they will review their performance. 
for the purpose of getting better, not for the purpose of tearing one another apart. And they say, oh, you came in too soon, or that was a bit off, or maybe we should tweak that, or that was in the wrong key. And they'll do all of those things to come back next week and honor God with a better performance. And I use that word performance very loosely. And so you and me, we've got to, we've got to critique, but only if it's couched in optimism. Because you can critique something, but, but you shouldn't be someone who is cynical. Because when you're cynical people, oh, cynical people can't find anything good in anything. Ever talk to a cynical person? Oh, it's tough, it's hard work. <laughs> you talk to a cynical person and you are, you are uh, uh, your energy is, you're deflated by the end of the discussion. You're off, you, sometimes you just feel like you've got a knockout punch, you're trying to find some, some caffeine. The Bible says this, uh, James 3 verse eight and nine says, the tongue is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. <laughs> with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father and with it, we curse human beings who've been made in God's likeness. Rick Warren tweeted this recently. He said the word Satan means slanderer. So that anytime you slander somebody, you do the devil's work for him. Now, a, a, a woman recently, a, a friend, my mum's friend, he's got, he's got a brother and, and the mum was having some challenges with the boys because they were having some learning difficulties. Severe dyslexia a few years ago. And so had some challenges at school and, and really trying to get the boys to focus and looked at some alternative education. And what had happened was one of the teachers, now often the teaching profession and I think the medical profession in church can often get thrown under the bus. That's not my, that's not my point this morning. But my point is this, every fruit bowl sometimes has a bad fruit. You know, so. And so there was this one teacher amongst all these great teachers that said something to the older brother that scarred him for a few years. She said, you wouldn't amount to anything. And he was failing the maths class, not going very well. So the mum thought, look, let's not take the fight to the teacher because that's pointless. Let's try and live by a higher standard. And boys, what we'll do is this. Uh, uh, what we'll do is we'll create, and the reason I found this out was because I saw the creation in the car. In his car. Young guy picked me up and I looked in front of the odometer and there was a yellow, faded yellow, uh, laminated card with bullet points on it. And I said, what's this? And he says, oh, look, no, it's just my mum gets us to just say these sayings, you know. And he kind of blew it off. And I was like, no, that, that looks cool. Like, yeah, and, and, at that, and I've got four kids. And at that point I had two. And so I'm definitely thinking like, man, anything I can do to be a parent, because this, this, this guy's mum is amazing. And I was like, give me a look. And it had all these phrases on it. You know? And I was like, what are these? What are these? And he says, well, they're scriptures. I said, yeah, I get that. But what, what's the point? And he said, well, you know, we were struggling at school because, you know, I've got dyslexia. And I said, no, I didn't know that. I said, I, I've known you for years. I could never tell. He says, no, nah, I struggle with reading and writing and everything's jumbled up and it's, and it's difficult. I said, no, nah, you either, it's not as bad as you think or you do a great job covering it up or all of the above. He said, school's tough. And so mum, what she did every morning and every night made us recite what she called self-talk. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I have the mind of Christ. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And every morning and every night, and she would, and it'd be like brushing your teeth. Brush your teeth, kids. Yep. Read your self-talk. Every morning and every night to make sure that their words weren't soured by the experiences that they faced in life. Come on, if you believe that this morning, you can give God some praise. We, we on our way to Canada, have sold up everything. In fact, I, I said to Ben, my suitcase, uh, which is heavier than normal, 
It's 27.7 kilos. I'm trying to get it down before I go back home, which is normally the other way around when you come to Sydney, isn't it? It's normally heavier. My, my, my luggage, my carry-on, and my backpack is, uh, is everything I own. That's all I own. Now, back home, Nadia has got, an, an, you know, look, we don't need to talk about the amount of clothing that she owns. That's fine. That's her prerogative. But once we sell a few little bits and pieces like our couches and stuff, and we've sold our whole, our physical house, all the contents of our house, and the kids, no, no, we're keeping the kids, we've sold everything, but all I, all I own is what I have. And so we're throwing everything into, obviously starting our life again when we get over there and, 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 and getting the church off the ground. But I, when, I, when I think about this journey, I look back to 47 Dimmick Street. 47 Dimmick Street, is an old state home in Titahi Bay, Wellington, New Zealand. And eight years ago, we bought that house and 18 months later, we sold the house. But when we first bought the house, uh, young in the ministry, we had no savings and that guy had $10, uh, which is a lot more than none. You know, it's infinitely more than zero. So, um, and so I, we saw the house and, and I remember we pulled up next to it and Nadi said, that's the house I wanna buy. And I said, um, this pink, that pink house there, and she said, yeah, 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 look at it, it's great. I said, well, it's pink, first of all. I think that's important we just get that out in the open. Um, that's, that's the proverbial elephant in the room. It's pink, we've said it, and I don't want it, you know? And she said, no, 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 look past the pink. And if I could look past the pink, let me tell you this, I couldn't look past the fact that there were three vehicles in the front yard with no wheels. Like, do you know what I mean when I say that? You know what I mean? You know, you drive past those houses, and you're like, I wish those people would move that car, you know? We bought that house. And so if I could look past the pink or look past the vehicles, I couldn't look past the fact that the, the house had in the backyard two industrial-sized dog kennels. Like, and I was thinking, how big are these dogs? Now, I don't know if you, you are a dog owner or a dog lover here. In fact, mate, just a quick show of hands, dog owners or dog lovers. Just give me a little, just like, okay, cool. We're about, we're about a 45 to 50%. That's, and that's, that's standard. Um, if you've got a dog and your dog is this big and you think your dog can protect you, you're wrong. I just want you to know that. <laughs> oh no, Levi, she's aggressive. You know what I'm saying? Like she'll get your ankles. No, no, she's, she's really just gonna make a lot of noise, but that's fine. You if you get a dog that's this big, you're now in the zone of dogs that I think can, can do some serious damage. And you don't have to bend down to pat them. I think if your dog gets, gets a bit, is bigger than that sort of, bigger than the knee or the thigh height. I think we're really starting to just play with fire, you know? These dogs that these people had, I could stare at the dog standing up and the dog was on all fours. I mean, these horses that these people owned, and, so, and, and, and they lived in the house. And so the whole house is reeked of dog waste. And I'm in the house and I'm like, it's like the quickest, you know when you go to a house that you like, that you like, you spend ages and you look for all the faults. If you, haven't, if you haven't bought a home and you're about to, this is what you should do. You should say to the agent and look disinterested. Oh yeah, my wife brought me along, you know, and uh, here I am and it's a bit, you know, sure, you know, there it is, creaky floorboards, you know, and, and, and we'll probably, yeah, we could probably knock 10 grand off the price, I think at least for that problem over there. You know, that's what you do. If you don't like the house, you walk in just real quick. And so it was like one of those very quick, it was just like, yeah, cool. Okay, that's a house. Excellent. Thank you. And it was so, the house was so smelly that I wiped my feet on the carpet before I stood back on the grass. You know, like that's, 
I didn't want to sully God's earth with the, the contents of the house. And so we get back in the car, we sit in the car, and Nadia gives me the, uh, I mean, woman, you're sensational. You really are, you know? And, 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 and then sitting there, and Nadia just goes, so? You know, it's one of those, it's one of those one word conversations back and forth. You know, she's like, so? And I was like, and, you know? Uh, you know? And, and I said, and I said, really? Are we really having this conversation? And she said, no, 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 I think we need it. This is the one. And I'm like, how, did you, were you present? She's like, no, 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 look past. Look past the exterior. Look past that. I said, look, look, look. She says, I, she, she says I, let me just talk to the agent. Agent, they have a conversation. She says, I just spoke to the agent. Yesterday, the owner of this house had 12 homes on auction. All 11 sold except this one. And the agent thinks that if we lowball, we can get it at a good price. I said, that's good. We have no money. And she goes, well, you need to get your behind to the bank and I'll work the price. So I go to the bank and I'm like, you know, I'm like, how are you? Good. Hey, I want to buy a house. Here it is. He goes, oh yeah, okay, it's pink. Yeah, I said, tell me about it. He says, I think you should get it for a good price. I said, I know, that's the goal. He says, how much money do you have? I said, well, I had $10, but I bought you a coffee. Now I have less than $10. And this is 2008, start of the GFC. And he's like, we can't, we, we, we can't loan. Like, this is, I mean, you know, I said, I know, but, but I need you to know, like, I've done the math. The mortgage is less than the rental I'm currently paying for. He says, I know, but there's more to it than that, that loan to value ratio. And I said, right, let me come back tomorrow. And he says, okay, come back tomorrow. And he says, and the next day, he said, how much do you have again? I said, well, I had $10, but we've had two meetings. And so I bought you two coffees. And so now I've got less. I've probably got room for one more. So we need to quickly wrap it up today or tomorrow or else it's off the table. Come back the next day, and I'll never forget the words. He said, Levi, I don't know why we're doing this, but he said, we will back you. 100% home loan for a home that cost $198,000, and we bought that pink house. 18 months later, we sold that house, made capital gains that were able to move us forward in life. And I'll never forget when we got the capital gains through. And for your first home in New Zealand, you don't pay a cap gains tax. So we tithed on it, and then... And then I, I had that money and I said, I said, Nard, I said, I really think we should double tithe. And she said, yeah, I mean, that sounds good. What, what are your thoughts? I said, well, we need to honor God because we started with nothing. I said, we got this mortgage on $10 minus three flat whites. <laughs> and here we are now, we came with nothing and we have something. It's not because of our brilliance and we, we double tithe. And then I said, but, but the other, on the other hand, I said, if it wasn't for you and your perseverance, there is no way on God's good earth that I would have bought that house. And I said, you, you know, we worked hard together to get it to a point where it increased in value. But if it wasn't for your words, if it wasn't for your optimism, if it wasn't for your ability to push through the obstacles that for me were glaringly obvious, like two horses, three cars and a pink house, <laughs> we never would have done it. And for me, I guess my question for us today is this, what's your 47 Dimmick Street? Is it, your, is it your marriage? The relationship that you have with your kids? Is it your work? Is it your home? That there are so many things in our life that don't look the way that we want. But what comes first? The change in circumstance or the change in language? And if I've learned anything, it's that we change our language and the circumstances follow. If you believe that this morning, give God some praise. Amen. Amen. 
If you're taking notes this morning, another question I would ask, the second is this, is how much salt, how much salt is in your water? How much salt is in your water? In other words, how much salt is in your words? Colossians 4 verse 6 says this, let your speech always be gracious, amen, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Gracious and seasoned with salt. I, 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 I'm gonna bring up food, but I do it for fear that you won't be able to concentrate for the next, the next few minutes, but I'm gonna take that risk. Lunch today is gonna be excellent, whatever you have. And whatever you do have, you should add salt to it. Because salt is an amazing rock that God has given us to bring out the flavors. So just a little bit. I had this morning, I had eggs and avocado with some spinach and the side of mushrooms and they put a bit of ricotta cheese. I thought that was nice. And it was great, but then a bit of salt, it just tastes better. Here's the thing though. You and I both know that too much salt ruins a dish. Not enough, there's no flavor. Last thing you want is for somebody to prank you by unscrewing the top of the salt shaker and you pour it and then the whole thing. Friends, there's no amount of hollandaise sauce that can fix your eggs benedict if the contents of the salt shaker are now on your food. Too much salt, it's ruined. But not enough, then there's no flavor. The Bible says that we should have words that are gracious and seasoned with salt. The Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea have the same body of water that flows through. The difference is, is that one has an inlet and an outlet, that's the Sea of Galilee. But the Dead Sea becomes a swamp, hypersaline water, 60% salt. It's called the Dead Sea, friends, because nothing can grow. Nothing can grow in a life that is too salty. There was a, a meme recently, a meme, let's not get into what that is. Let's call it a video. A video recently of a man who looked a lot like Tony Stark of the Avengers, who was salting his meat. He prepared some beef and he got, he got some Himalayan rock salt as far as I could tell from the video. But not a pinch, he got like, a, like a, a handful of salt. And the way that he salted his meat with such flair, it went global, took off. People named him Salt Bay. I remember thinking to myself, popular culture is, is bizarre and why did this thing take off? Let me tell you why. It took off because we already understood what it meant to be salty. If you and me right now were to play a game of Settlers of Catan, Monopoly, Scrabble, Upwards, uh, any of the great games in all the world, Risk is another favorite of mine. We would play, I would beat you. And, and, and your challenge would then be to face defeat against me without letting it impact your heart. You'd demand a rematch, which I wouldn't give to you. When we face challenges in life, the issue is that we can't allow life to allow us to get salty when we don't get our way. When we face problems, challenges, circumstances that impact us, don't let that impact you. Don't, don't let your heart get salty, but, but remain seasoned with salt and gracious with your words. This morning you brushed your teeth, I hope. When you squeeze the toothpaste tube, you know what came out? Yep, toothpaste. My question to us is this, what comes out when you get squeezed? Some people get squeezed, oh man, you wanna be around them when they get squeezed because joy comes out and praise comes out and thankfulness comes out and gratefulness comes out and character is established. Other people think their life gets squeezed and, the, and they say the wrong, have you ever done that? Said the wrong thing, you wanna grab those words back as quick as you can. 
gracious. Amen. Maybe the keyboardist this morning would come join me. And the last thing I'd, I'd say to us is this this morning, is what is your word count? What's your word count? Proverbs 17 verse 28 says this, even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. Even a, a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. They say that the person who's leading the conversation is the person who's listening. You know, for you and me, we need to understand this morning that it's not so much the, the quantity of our words that matter, but the quality. For the most part, your face is symmetrical. You have, you know, we got you know, beauty spots and blemishes and age and bits and pieces, that's fine. But you have a pair of eyes, a pair of nostrils, a pair of ears. But friends, this morning, you and I, we only have one mouth. And God in all of His brilliance, His creative design, gave us one mouth as if to say, you should use this half as much as you use the rest of the features on your face. Now don't be someone that's quick to talk. Be someone who's quick to listen. My son Ryder, he's nine. He had at birth a diaphragmatic hernia, which, which is a hole, a hernia, hole in the diaphragm. And he's now got a, a, a silicon patch in his diaphragm permanently to, which now is covered with scar tissue to patch up the hole that he had. And so we were in the hospital for a few months and a few, few bad days. And our doctor, the surgeon who performed the operation, his surname was Pringle, Dr. Pringle. One night we were in the hospital and it had been a tough day. And you know when you're, um, when you're having a baby and, and the church will support you with, with meals and bits and pieces or going through some challenges and meals get delivered and lasagnas and soups and bits and pieces, pasta bakes, praise the Lord. And we were going through that period of time. And a lawyer in the church who was a senior partner in a Wellington CBD law firm turned up to the waiting room that night. And he came up in the lift and I was like, Tim, how you going? Thinking like, what is he doing here? Like, he charges out at $300 an hour. Like, he, he, he shouldn't be bringing us. He said, okay, he says, hey, what do you feel like? You know, oh, no, actually, excuse me, he didn't say that. He said this, how do you like your steak? And I was like, oh, medium rare, Nadia medium. He's all right, I'll be back in a minute. Went down to the car park, took out a uh, gas Bunsen burner, cooked steak fresh with mashed potatoes and greens on a ceramic plate with stainless steel cutlery, friends. Not your standard hospital plastic this evening. Came up covered in tin foil, brought it to the top. Said, here you go, guys, enjoy. We took the top off. And I, and I never, you know, I don't really cry about food. I cried like a baby that night. And he, says, and, and he just said this, enjoy, and then left. He didn't offer any encouragement, didn't pray, God forbid. He didn't try and say too much. He said, just enough. This week, you'll be faced with somebody who is facing a challenge and you'll find yourself there and you'll have an option. You'll have a decision to make. You'll try and say the right thing. But friend, I say that word try and that's the operative word of the sentence because it is a trial to try and figure out what it is on earth that you should say when someone's facing a challenge. But how many times have you found that when you get to the end of a challenge, you look to someone and say, not thank you for your kind words. More often than not, you say this, thanks for being there. Thanks for standing with me. Thanks for listening. In other words, thank you for empathy. The Bible says in Hosea 14 verse two, the Bible says, take your words, God speaking, Take your words and return to the Lord. That really our lives are a collection of our shared experiences, 
and, and, and a collection of the words that we use. And God says something very clear to Hosea. He said, take all the words, take all of your, take your life, bundle up everything you've said and return to the Lord. And it speaks to me of the story of the prodigal son who left, squandered his father's wealth, but gets to a point in his life where he's rehearsing a speech. Remember that story? He's there and he's thinking, you know, I can just go back to the father and, and I'm eating pig pods. Maybe he'd have me back as one of his hired, hired hands. Maybe he would hire me as a servant. And he's kind of going back and he collects up his words, just like we do and like we should this morning. And he, and he wanders back to the father. The Bible says this though, that when he was a long way off, the father saw him, ran to him and embraced him before he could even get out. Isn't that a picture of God's love for us? that when we do collect up our lives and come back to God, you get to that point where you're like, you repent, you know, you're sorry, and you kind of start to get it out. And God's like, yeah, yeah, it's great. Welcome home, you know? And this morning there are people here and there have been words and there have been conversations and things that you've been a part of that this morning you realise, yeah, you know what? I need to collect that up and come back to God, to the foot of the cross. They say, God, you know what? I just, you know, I've been a bit off. Um, ever been on maps and Siri's having a chat with you and you go off course she'll go silent for a bit while she recalculates your, your, your route you know that's the worst part talk to me talk to me Siri need some help but she's just like letting you know that you messed up you know sometimes silence can be like that and then she says hang on I got you get you back on track and we feel sometimes God's silence but maybe that's God just saying hey look you know where I am I can recap, don't worry about that. I can get you back on track, but you've got to come back to me. Bring me your experiences. And that sense of that repentance, saying, God, I need you in my life. And pray that very simple prayer. And there are people here this morning, you need to pray that prayer. Get your life back on track with God. And before I hand back to Pastor Nat, I'd love to pray with you this morning. Would you close your eyes this morning? Would you?